0: Why am I up here stalling? Like that one time Michelle did. Mike told her to go. St- oh. There's mostly visitors. No one understands. Okay. Well, okay. I'm not stalling. I'm supposed to be here. Uh, Mike is at Southway Community Church out in Pearland preaching a sermon. So uh, today is the start of Advent. It's a four-week time of when uh, Christ, uh, expecting and waiting for Christ to come. Right. So it's on the church calendar. And so here at FC3, we take this very seriously, we recognize it, we remember it, and we are involved in this process of waiting and expecting Christ to come. Um, so what we do every year is we have a uh, sermon series that runs parallel with Southway Community Church, and so Mike is actually preaching the same sermon as me right now. Um, he told me to send, me, uh, send him all, all my notes and everything that I had prepared for this sermon this morning. So I'm assuming that's probably going to be pretty similar, and I'll go ahead and take credit for it if it turns out to be the same. But anyways, so this series, uh, we're going to be examining four songs in the book of Luke that are all related to Advent and all are kind of uh, tied into this season of Advent. So we're going to be looking at the first one this morning. It's in uh, Luke uh, one thirty nine if, if you want to go ahead and flip there. Um, the series is called The Christmas Playlist, and it's remarkably similar to the series we did just a few weeks ago called Finding God on Your iPod. Um, and if you weren't here for that, or if you forgot, the, the idea behind this, the, the series was to tie these secular songs and these, these different uh, songs back to the gospel and the redeeming uh, you know, message of the gospel. So that's what we're going to do uh, for the next four weeks. We're going to look at these songs in, in Luke. So, Finding God on Your iPod was more of a secular song series. This is going to be uh, all songs from the Bible. So, it's like the Bible version of Finding God on Your iPod. So how I would describe it. And it's all based on this idea that songs are this fundamental expression of human emotion. And, uh, this fundamental expression of, of passion, right? I think uh, we, we would all agree with this. I think, you know, mo- who all listens to music here? Pretty much everybody, right? How many of you listen to music on the way here this morning? Yeah. Okay. So that's just demonstrating how uh, how how innate the the love of music is in all of us. And I think it's something that's powerful in a way that's we don't we can't really describe. It's something that we uh, we can't describe on our own. It's this uh, just just mysterious way of expressing oneself that that's not uh, that's not just it's, it's different. It's something that, it's something that we don't usually express ourselves with, right? It's this different way of expressing something. Um, so just to, to experience the power of music, uh, recently I went to a rock concert. Uh, I'm into rock, if you don't know. Uh, and it's interesting because what you'll find at a rock concert, or any concert for that matter, is that the same aspects of Christian worship are present at a rock concert. So at a rock concert, you go, you're not expecting to, to see people, you know, worshiping, right? But I think, you know, I went and that's what you see. You see people, you know, with their arms up, you see people with their eyes closed, people just singing from the bottom of their hearts. And I think this would constitute as a form of worship, which I think is really interesting and goes to show how powerful and how, um, how important music is to us. Uh, as we look throughout history, we see a history of songs and music being used to protest to, um, to, as a form of uh, expression against a, against a certain regime, right? Uh, take, for example, the Civil Rights Movement was a movement uh, that had a lot of different aspects to it, right? They did sit-ins, marches, boycotts, all that sort of thing. But the overarching thing of it was music. They had songs that they sang together. That kind of united them and made them made their voices one. Right? There's this idea that if a bunch of people are singing one song, their message is clear. It's clearer than it would be if you know one person was just out there saying a message. But instead, we see this this entire civil rights movement founded on the fact that uh, music is powerful. Um, one of the bands I follow, they're called the Flowbots. They're I don't I don't know if. It, has anyone heard of them? No. Okay. Yeah. So they're this band, and they're really political. Really, uh, they're political activists as well as a band. They're a they're not a Christian band, but their band members are Christians. But they're really, really involved in the community and the uh, protesting in Denver, Colorado, where they're from. And their next album is actually based on this idea of a protest song, right? So they've discovered that they'll go to these protests, and there's other musicians there, but they don't have songs to sing, right? It's one thing to sing for entertainment, but it's another thing to sing in protest, right? So that's what their next album is. Their next album is compiling these protest songs that they can all sing together at these movements that they go to, right? And again, it just goes to show how powerful music is and that people are uh, starting to realize that protest songs, you know, change things. Uh, You know, these protest songs are songs that pick fights with, with injustice in the world. They, they're, they're calling out something that's wrong in the world. And I think that we're going to see that today in, in Luke, uh, in Mary's song. I'm going to argue today. Michelle talked about last week that she said that her text was subversive. I'm going to argue today that my text is as subversive, if not more subversive. So first of all, what is subversive? I Googled it like 10 minutes ago. This is what I got. Uh, subversive, Tending or intending to subvert or overthrow, destroy or undermine an established or existing system, especially a legally constituted government or set of beliefs. Would you all agree with that definition? Yes? Okay. Well, I'm, I'm sticking with it. Um, so, what is the most subversive thing that you all have ever done? Okay, wait. I probably don't want to know anyways. Because... That was a bad joke, (laughs) God. Anyways, so I think we all kind of have this infatuation with people who are subversive, right? We look throughout history, some of the most common names in uh, our our conversation, like Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, someone who rebelled against the Catholic Church and kind of uh, did his own thing, right? Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., the head of the Civil Rights Movement, someone who uh, broke away from the normal way of doing things. Uh, another more modern example, Miley Cyrus, right? Someone who is, it, she re, you know, rejected Billy Ray's uh, way of thinking, right? She's doing her own thing now. Whether or not that's good or bad, it's up to you to decide. But, you know, I mean, it's, she's, she's being subversive. She's subverting the authority that she was formerly under, right? Uh, so this morning, I'm going to argue that this text is a subversive text and that Mary should be on this long uh, uh, list of people who historically were subversive. So, uh, one thing before we get into the text, I just want to say with, again, utmost respect to the Protestant denomination, obviously I'm a Protestant, but I think as Protestants, we have a dangerous tendency to uh, know more about what we don't know about Mary, or what we shouldn't know about her, than what we actually do. So, I think this is dangerous. Because we have all these doctrines that we know we're not supposed to believe about Mary. But I think that this, in turn, leads to us not knowing who Mary is, who the person of Mary is. So, this morning, I'm going to encourage all of us, uh, including myself, to take off these denominational lenses that we put on sometimes when we, when we look at the text and when we look at Mary and the person of, of Mary. Uh, and I'm going to encourage all of you to just read the text for what it is. And I think if we do this this morning that we'll get a more full picture of Mary uh, in the context of what she's trying to say to Israel and what she's trying to, in her context, as well as what it says to us. So, verse 39. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Uh, So that's kind of the the dialogue, the intro to the song. Okay, so verse 46, the song. (laughs) and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months, and returned to her home. Okay, so, kind of a lengthy text. Uh, So, what we're going to do today is look at the kind of history behind the text, and what things are going on around the text, uh, the historical climate of the text, uh, and then we're going to examine how it applies to us. So that's kind of uh, where I'm going with all of this. So, uh, just a few thoughts on the dialogue between Mary and Elizabeth. Um, here we have two people who are building each other up, they're praising God together. I think it's this beautiful sense of community that these two people are meeting together in a home and praising Yahweh, praising the covenant grace of God, right? And, and keep in mind that these are two people who are probably on the fringes of society, people who aren't well-respected in their community or people who are uh, maybe even well-liked. Uh, if we keep in mind that we have Elizabeth here who is not a young woman. Uh, she's pregnant with a baby, but she's uh, up in her years, right? Her husband is mute uh, because he doubted God, That Elizabeth would uh, uh, be pregnant, right? So we got this woman who's married to a priest who's mute and is old and pregnant. Someone who probably not a lot of people are going to take seriously. That's kind of a weird situation. Someone you wouldn't take entirely seriously. Uh, Also, we have Mary here. Right? She could be from you know 13 to 16 years old, right? And she's engaged to be married to a man, but she claims she's she's pregnant, right? So that's this. In, in a first century, or not a first century mindset, and that mindset is uh, looked way down upon. Two people who are probably not well-respected, liked, uh, um, people who are just <coughs> on the fringes of their society, right? Um, okay, and then into the song. Uh, so the first few, ver- or the, the song itself is called the Magnificat, uh, and I won't try to say that too many times just because it's a weird word, but it comes from a Latin word that means to magnify. Uh, you can see in the first line of the song, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's this idea that she's praising God. She's, uh, she's em- embracing him, uh, praising him, right? And I think that her faith in of itself is amazing. I think Mary's faith here is something we need to take note of because this is a woman who isn't just facing village whispers. She's not just being made fun of by her friends. This is something drastically more serious. This is someone who's probably facing death for claiming she's pregnant. This is someone who's probably been banished from her community. Someone who's been uh, exiled from uh, her her community and her uh, normal way of doing life. She's not able to uh, partake in the community that she wants new. This is someone who... Is just again, on the fringes of society, but here we see her praising Yahweh, praising God for who He is. Um, this is her faith her faith really here is, is amazing. Uh, I forgot to mention that there was such a thing in this time called the law of Bitter waters. Uh, what that was was a law instituted by the priest in the church at the time, and what it essentially was was when a woman claimed she had been raped, or she had been, uh, uh, or she was pregnant before getting married, they would do this law of bitter waters, which the the priest of the time would make the woman who's pregnant drink a mixture of um, uh, mud, holy water, and ink from a, from like a pen, right? So, uh, possibly a deadly concoction, right? Something that Is not just a silly game. It's something that should be taken seriously. Uh, So, the and the thing is, Mary. So Mary, oh well, okay, the law. If the woman was telling the truth about what happened, the baby would live. But if the woman was lying, the baby would die. So it was this. It it was a life or death thing. It wasn't just you know people are making fun of Mary. People are um, are condemning her. It was this real threat of death. You know, I don't think that this should be taken seriously here. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of death, in the midst of facing uh, 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 persecution, we see Mary here still praising God, praising him openly. She's not, she's singing a song, right? We don't sing songs in these hushed whispers. We sing songs uh, like, we're, like we mean it, right? Uh, I mean, if, if uh, Mr. Henderson got up here and whispered a song, I think we'd all be like, what, what are you doing, right? No, Mary's here singing it out. She's not... Uh, she's not trying to hide what she believes or what she claims um, and and so the first part of this psalm is you know or this song is mostly praising God right and I think this is similar to uh, an Old Testament song so the psalm the psalms in the Old Testament are these one hundred and fifty songs that the Israelites used to sing uh, uh, praising God, and kind of this advent idea right that there's going to be a redeemer of Israel Israel is going to be pulled out of their exile into this redeeming love and covenant grace of God. Um, so I think she's definitely referring to that. If you want to go ahead and flip with me uh, to 2 Samuel 7, I think Mary's making a, an interesting uh, reference here to the Davidic covenant when God establishes with David that there is going to be a king from the line of Israel to redeem them and to pull them out of their exile. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 12. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. All right, so we have this idea that God here is establishing that Israel eventually, although they're being enslaved at this time when Mary's singing by the Roman state, they're being taxed heavily. She knows that and and is all of Israel knows that eventually they will be redeemed. They will be pulled out of this suffering and out of this, uh, this cycle of, of enslavement, right? Um, there's two quotes that I like to read from about the this song, uh, and I think they say a lot about it. Uh, the first one is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he says this about the, the Song of Mary. The Song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. The second one is from Scott McKnight, Some think of her song as a splendid piece of spirituality that could be tucked away in a pew hymnal. But her song belongs instead on the shelf with socio-political songs of protest against unjust rulers. I think this is true. I think that McKnight is hitting on a a thought here that Mary isn't just speaking in generalities when she says in verse 52 that he has brought the mighty down from their thrones. She's not speaking in this... uh, general sense she 's talking about specific leaders, people who had specifically persecuted her who had, who had humiliated her, who had disrespected her and I think one of the main people she 's talking about is Herod the Great uh, Herod the Great is was at the time the king of the Jews, right uh, He was an awful man, a man who killed off most of his family so that he would be put in, a, in this position as a king of the Jews. Uh, uh, So the Roman Senate would elect him as the king. He taxed the people heavily. Uh, He disrespected the people. There was thought that he wasn't even a Jew, right? Um, So just, I think it's important to keep in mind here that this isn't all spiritual. This is a political song. This is a song that has serious political implications. This song is a song that gives power to the poor. Uh, If you read in verse 52, the next line uh, he's exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. This is, this is a political uh, message, right? And if we look, again, this, this, is, this is a dangerous song. This isn't a song that we just sing and don't mean. This is a song that could very well get us killed. Uh, in Guatemala in the 1980s, during an oppressive dictatorship where there was uh, a lot of corruption and uh, evil going on in the country... The, the Government banned the public reading or the singing of the Magnificat, and I think this is a serious thing this isn't this is i can 't think of a better example of the power of our scripture than this that a government that a, uh, that a worldly government would say "No, you can't read that because it subverts their authority right it, it subverts their power, it gives them less power, and it exemplifies the uh, the power of God and the power of a kingdom that comes not through uh, force, but through service, and and as uh, epitomized by Jesus, right? I think this is a start, the song is a start of a battle. Uh, We can think about this in the sense that Mary is talking about Israel, right? Israel is going to be pulled out of their captivity. Israel is going to be uh, made redeemed, right? But I think we can also think of this in the cosmic sense, right? That um, that the world itself has fallen enslaved to sin, has been in this perpetual cycle of sin and death and destruction. And I think that we can also you know, know that God is redeeming the world uh, through Jesus. He's redeeming the entire world. If we fast forward <coughs> to Jesus' ministry, we see that he healed people. He healed the sick. He uh, uh, healed the blind, right? He's, it's this idea that this evil and death and destruction in the world doesn't belong. So he's taking it out. He's redeeming the world. This song is a gospel before gospel. It's the acknowledgement that God will redeem the world, although it hasn't happened. And I think we can, we can relate with this because we're in the same spot. We know that Jesus has come. We know that he's come into the world and he's established his kingdom. Right? He fulfilled the Davidic covenant, established the church as his kingdom forever, but we still see evil. We still see all these injustices going on in the world. And I think it's the job of the church to work alongside God, as Michelle pointed out last week. The church is supposed to work with God. It's not apart from God. We're working together to fight this injustice and to fight this evil. And I think this song kind of gives us a motive and gives us a purpose to do these things. You know, the church historically has been an organization that has stood up for injustice or against injustice, not for injustice has stood up against injustice. And it's been a part of these movements that are fighting evil. So my question for us this morning is what are we doing to join the kingdom in it's fight against injustice individually and corporately? Well, I'll answer the corporately one for you. Uh, our church, if you don't know, partners with a ministry called Elijah Rising, which is a ministry devoted to bringing women out of the human trafficking, human trafficking trade in the Houston area. Right? It's this idea that if we go into these evil places, we can redeem them uh, with, the, with the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. Right? And they've had a lot of success. This is what we're doing as a church to fight just ed, injustice. Uh, I would ask this morning what can we do individually? What else can we do corporately to fight against injustice and to fight evil? This this song in, you know, the advent season isn't this cute time. This is a this is the start of a battle. This is the first shot in a battle, right? Jesus coming into the world is revolutionary. It's not something that should be taken lightly. It's something that needs to be taken seriously. And we need to put thought into how we can join alongside God and work together to fight injustice. Um, I'm in an uh, apologetics class where I work on that uh, paper. So I spend a lot of the days out of the week at a coffee shop after school. And I've been going there for months. I've kind of gotten to know some of the people there. And a lot of them are... Uh, Christians, church people, people who go to church and who are involved in the church, and some of them are even church leadership, and they're just really happy people, which is this is great, right? Um, but I've tried to I've talked to them and gotten to know them, and it's like I don't feel that they have a burden. I think as a church, we're to have a burden. We're to have. A burden for the poor. We're to have a burden for those who are being oppressed. And I think this text kind of is like a battle cry, right? Something that we can take with us as we're fighting injustice. And we can sing this song together and know that God is with us and he's going to help us fight injustice in the world. Whoa. Uh, I (laughs) want to... right, hands in pockets. (laughs) Uh, I want to end on this quote. Uh, It's my quote. You can go ahead and quote me if you want. It's pretty good quote. This morning, let us not forget that cry, that groaning of creation for justice. And instead, let us be active members of the kingdom of God and remember Mary's song, which is a battle cry to take with us into our mission. Let's pray. Uh, God, we approach your throne.